Welcome, Lakers and Dodgers fans, to episode 25 of the City of Champions podcast. My name is Edgar, your co-host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gene, here to talk about the Lakers, the Dodgers, a lot of trade activity going on, especially with the Dodgers. Tell me what you think about um, about the potential trade targets. Let's start with the Cubs. So let's start with the Cubs who have put up Rizzo, Brian Kimbrell, Baez, Davies, and Hendricks all up. Yeah, so um, so in regards to the Cubs, I don't know that necessarily they're really re- ready to sell everyone, right? Um, but I think they're they're definitely selling, and I think they're listening. These are some names I think they'd be listening to. And as Dodgers fans, I think we, and as a Dodgers organization, I think they'd have interest in a couple of these players. Um, so I'll go one by one. Rizzo, I feel like, is a really difficult fit because we got Muncie at first base. He needs to play every day. Um, so I think he'd be almost like excess right because you have so many players that play first base even though I like Rizzo hits the ball really well hits for uh, uh you know um hits lefties really well also tough out doesn't strike out too much but I don't think Rizzo's an option uh you and I both like Chris Bryant um but we've discussed how Chris Bryant would be more than likely a rental who you'd have to pay in prospects and then you'd have to like you know give him the bag right all the bags to bring him back and re-sign him being a Scott Boris client Kimbrell, we've also discussed, great reliever, would be a great pickup. Uh, he's making $16 million this year, so trading for him, you're taking on a decent amount of salary, and he's making $16 million next year as well. But, you know, he's worth it because he's an elite-level reliever. He's been there, done that, and he's pitching great this year. Javi Baez, I don't think the Cubs trade. Though he's a free agent, I think they view him as part of the future. So I do think they keep Javi Baez. But what we haven't really discussed are a couple starting pitchers for the Cubs. So I put two down that I think the Dodgers could possibly look at. Um, so Zach Davies, the infamous Zach Davies, who is part of the, that Dodger uh, or that uh, that Cubs group that no hit the Dodgers when they came to LA. Uh, but Zach Davies. So a little bit about Zach Davies. He's 28. He's a free agent at, at the end of this season, which means he will not require too much of a prospect haul to get. Right, so he's at that lower level starting pitcher that the Dodgers can get for probably pretty cheap. Um, his ERA is four point three, so he's not great, and I'm not I'm not saying he's not great, but I think we, as as Dodger fans know, I mean we'd love to get two elite level pitchers. I just don't think that's happening. I think you maybe get one elite pitcher and then someone else who could just eat some innings for you. So Zach Davies, a four point three ERA, one point four WHIP. Like I said, twenty eight years old, free agent. Probably wouldn't cost too much, man. You could probably get him for a mid-level prospect. You know, probably could get him for like a Mitch White, honestly. Um, I could see the Cubs doing something like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Edgar? Yeah, I think the Cubs have a lot of intriguing prospects. You know, a lot of them who they've made available. I don't think, like you said, they'll trade them all. But I really do think they're trying to um, start fresh, start over, right? It seems like their initial experiment, which was successful, they won the World Series, 
uh, sort of, uh, you know, come to an end. So they want to freshen things up. Uh, I'm sure the new GM wants to bring in his own new talent, do his own thing and uh, start his own legacy within the Cubs. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested in a lot of the names, particularly uh, Brian Kimbrell and Davies. Baez, I'm not too keen on because he does make a lot of errors, does make a lot of mistakes for as good as he is on defense, including like, you know, his tags and his, you know, just ability to um, move. He makes a lot of mistakes. So because of that, I wouldn't want him. Uh, Hendricks is a little bit older. He could be a good veteran arm to bring in, but I don't know. I think he's past his prime and uh, he's not, I think he's someone who's past his prime, but will also command a good amount of money, which is not something I want to give him, especially when you get younger talent who can probably put up similar numbers. Uh, but yeah, like I said, Brian Kimbrell and Davies. Those are three intriguing prospects. Like you said, Kimbrell, he's an elite level closer. Bryant is just, you know, great. He's dynamic. He can play uh, different positions. Someone we can rotate. Someone who's that good and we can rotate is always a good thing. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then we get that extra added arm, right? The uh, extra pitcher that we need that he's young. He's someone that we could potentially re-sign. Not someone that's going to command a lot of, uh, a lot of trade prospects in a trade. So I'm, I'm definitely interested in those guys. I hope that they explore those trade possibilities because we know the Cubs are selling. That sort of gives us a little bit of leverage. We know that they don't want to go into the offseason without any sort of return. So anything is better than nothing. Yeah. At the same time, you know, is anyone else going to offer anything? more valuable who knows i don't think so i don't think it's like the nba where players get the bag here it's you know more strategic and money's handed out um it's a lot harder to hand money out uh so yeah we'll see what happens with the cubs uh but the indians what do you think i think those are two really great arms they're not elite per se bieber is on the cusp but they're very, very, very solid arms, young arms that have a bright, bright future and can definitely help us out a lot. And, you know, they're, what, under control until 2025, 2026? So there's there, there's some, uh, I find it interesting. What are your thoughts on Bieber and Saval? Yeah, so you, you, you said it, man. Like, sorry, I feel like with the Cubs, you have Davies, who's a lower level arm, free agent probably can get him for not that much but you have Kendricks or Kyle Hendricks who's under contract owed a good amount of money moving forward not a great pitcher but definitely good enough um and then the Indians you have some really intriguing young prospects you know young pitchers you said like you said in Saval and Bieber who are under contract um you know uh until 2025 2026 uh, low three ERAs, low uh, one whip, uh, both 26, very good young pitchers. The question is like, the Indians are listening like, but what does that mean, right? Because these guys are under control, so there's no reason to trade them, right? Like the Indians don't have motivation to trade them. They can, you know, just run it back next year because they have these guys under contract for quite a while. So when it says like, you know, rumors are that the Indians are listening like, are they listening on these guys? Because these are only like probably the only two guys I'm interested because in, I don't think they're listening on Jose Ramirez either. Um, 
So I think these are two great young pitchers. I just don't. I think right now for the Indians, it's like I'm listening. If you're gonna break the bank, then I'll I'll trade with you. And I don't know. I mean, for Bieber, sure. If I mean, he's hurt right now. He's dealing with a shoulder strain. I think he's expected back late July, August, if I if I remember correctly, uh, for Bieber. Um, but I yeah, I trade a grip for him. Um, you know, I throw Ruiz in there, a couple other like high level prospects. Um, but I, I just don't know that he's fully healthy, so that makes me a little bit nervous. I need to see him come back and make a couple starts before I, I'd make a trade. But I don't know that the Indians, you know, I think it's one of those like we're listening because we're you should always be listening type things. You know what I mean? You should kind of always see what's out there. I don't think they're listening for, to truly, truly make a trade. Yeah, and again, Bieber would be such a great pickup, especially with what's going on with Bauer. He might not be back realistically. He... Probably pitched his uh, last game with the Dodgers. Look at a guy like Bieber who has put up similar numbers, who has put up similar numbers, uh, and is looking like he's you know getting better. Maybe not as good as he was last year, 2020, but that was a shortened season. He was pitching pretty well this season until uh, he got injured. And let's not forget, this, this is a local kid. He's from Orange, California. He went to UC Santa Barbara. Went to Laguna Hills High. So, you know, having someone who's close to home is a good thing, right? A lot of uh, guys talk about how they get homesick or they just aren't able to recover from being away from their families. This would be the perfect situation for uh, Shane Bieber. He could go to the Angels, but, I mean, the Angels aren't going to do that. Not not anytime soon, at least. Not unless they trade away, you know, some of their best prospects which I doubt they'll, they'll do, right? Uh, so he would be perfect for the Dodgers. He would just, I mean, he'd fit the mold. So I'd definitely like to see them go after him in some way, shape, or form. At the very least, ask for something in return, and then we'll see what goes from there. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see, man. Um, definitely some, some great targets there um, that the Indians have. I just, I don't, I don't know that they're realistic at, at this point. Um, and you know with baseball, man, it's tough. Not too many teams are sellers, especially with the um with uh you know with the expansion and the wild card and whatnot. So I was feeling confident that you know the market would be flush with starting pitching, but it just seems like some teams are hesitant to sell. They're they're banking on like a second half run to get into the playoffs. So, you know, we'll see. I just uh, one thing I'm confident about is that Andrew Friedman, I, I don't feel like he makes bad trades, man. He doesn't get fleeced, so I know whatever happens, it uh, uh, it'll look good for the Dodgers moving forward. Um, but let's. Uh, I wanted to talk about how you're feeling about the team at the break, man. Uh, All star break, halfway point in the season, uh, give or take. Uh, I just wanted to do a quick assessment. Um, so I, I put three topics together. Uh, I put starting pitching, or just our whole pitching in general, but more primarily focused on our starting pitching, the bullpen. And the offense. So uh, let's start off with the starting pitching, bro. I'll share some 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 stats, and and you hit me with your thoughts on how you're fitting about feeling about the starting pitching. So our starting pitching, our pitching in general, uh, we're first in all of baseball in ERA. We're second in all of baseball in WHIP. We're second in strikeouts, and we're first in opponent batting average. So our pitching in general is pretty top tier, I'd say. Um, but we know. That we're we're dealing with like uh you know tired arms uh, shortage of arms 
just really got have gotten hit with some bad luck recently. So how are you feeling about our pitching at this point in the season? You know, I'm not let's, feeling – go ahead. I was going to say, let's focus on starters first, bro. Yeah, I'm not feeling great about the pitching, to be honest. I know the numbers look good, and the numbers do tell a story, but they don't tell the whole story, especially now what's going on right now with the Dodgers, and that's very worrying for us, right? We've essentially lost two of our top pitchers, May and then now Bauer. So anything that they've done in the past completely wiped out from anything going into the future, going into the second half of the season. And then you look at who's left, right? Walker Bueller. Great. Not worried about him. He's always been uh, pretty consistent. I know he has his uh, off days, but he's been pretty consistent. We have Julio, who's getting up there in innings more than he's ever pitched in his life. And then we have Kershaw, who is starting to show sense of fatigue, right? His injury... His, uh, I believe it was tight forearm. That's fatigue. It might not have uh, been as bad as some people feared, but it is fatigue. And if there's something we know about the Dodgers, if there's something that we know about Dave Roberts, is that he overuses his pitchers. It just doesn't manage the, you know, the pitching staff very well in the regular season. We get to the postseason, guys are tired, and we get destroyed, right? It's it's happened before. It didn't happen last year, but last year was a shortened season. But we usually run into that same obstacle every year. So that's very worrying. Pitching not looking great. I wish it looked better. I thought we did great in the first half, but going into the second half, I'm worried. Yeah. Um, so I would say that our starting pitching – Given the circumstances, you know, losing Dustin May pretty early on, uh, Tony Gonsolin uh, being injured and not really jumping in until later in the first half of the season, um, I feel like our starting pitching has honestly been pretty solid, man. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with Trevor Bauer, like we said, but, you know, just looking at the pitching in regards to him, he's been clutch. Uh, Bueller's having a great season. Kershaw's doing Kershaw things. Urias is at the highest innings pitch uh, in his career so far. And in the major leagues, and he's been he's been a stud. You know, Dustin May, man, when he was when he was healthy, he was looking great. And so I feel like our our pitching overall, starting pitching specifically, has looked really good. But I hear you. We'll talk about looking to the second half of the season. But I also like you. I have concerns moving forward, just based on where we're at. And that's why I feel like trades need to be made. We need to bring in. I feel like two starting pitchers for sure to feel comfortable moving forward. But shifting from the starting pitching, let's look at the bullpen. I feel like every year with the Dodgers, the bullpen is something we rarely feel confident about, normally feel really uneasy, especially in the playoffs. Um, I thought the bullpen was going to be a strength for us early on this year. You know, we're recording our first couple episodes. Um, I remember saying that I thought we'd have multiple pitchers with uh, double digit saves. Um, I don't think we'll get there. But our, our bullpen was looking great to start the season. Uh, but, you know, injuries have, uh, you know, like a trickling effect on your on your club, especially when it comes to pitching. And we've seen the bullpen struggle. Um, so let me just hit you with some stats. Uh, we have 17 blown saves. That's the third highest in all of baseball, which I is, is impressive that we're, we still have the second best record in baseball, but we're third in blown saves. That's That's crazy to me. I can just imagine where we'd be if our bullpen was a little bit better. Uh, we're sixth in holds. Um, 
And and according to Fangraphs, we're the ninth best bullpen. According to Fangraphs and all the data they look at, all their advanced metrics and whatnot. So um, I have my thoughts on the bullpen, but hit me with your thoughts on the bullpen, man. Just halfway through the season, how are you feeling about the pen? So I feel like the bullpen is top heavy, right? 17 blown saves. They're not coming from Kenley Jansen because we know how great he's been this year. So who are they coming from? They're coming from the depth. The depth that Friedman loves. Dave Roberts, he loves They talk about it all the time. We're deep. We've got depth. Next man up. It's not the next man up. That's the dumbest idea in the history of sports. Unless you can replace the guy that went down with another guy, then it's not next man up. You cannot replace a Dustin May with an Alex Vesia, right? You can't, you, it just, you just can't do that. And so if we look at what, where all these blown saves have come from, where these blown games have come from, you know, they come from guys that don't belong in the major leagues. And now I know they were brought up to sort of hold it down while our bullpen arms came back, but that works if it's like one or two guys. Not when it's like five, six guys. At that point, you have to go shopping. At that point, you've got to get healthy arms, right? And that's that just has, hasn't been the case. And so I am concerned. Again, I'm always concerned about the bullpen. I've been concerned about the bullpen since before Friedman, since before Roberts. We just we've never had the uh, the depth. And if you look at the playoffs historically, where do we falter? It's in the bullpen, right? So I don't feel like guys like uh, Dennis Santana, Alex Vesey, Mitch White, I don't think they belong in the major leagues. And I don't think they should be used as backups for the major leagues. You got to let them develop into major league pitchers. You can't just bring them up before they're ready and then just kill their confidence completely. And that happens with a lot of pitchers. And that's what Dave Roberts and Freeman are doing. It's terrible. You know, they're leaving guys in there to get pummeled. All because of the numbers, all because of, you know, the rest. And it's just not fair to these kids. So... Go out there and get some bullpen arms. I don't care about the numbers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, and, and so I hear you like when you talk about depth, um, like realistically speaking, if the Dodgers, if everything would have gone right and the Dodgers were healthy, I don't think you see Dennis Santana, you know, who has been traded since, you know, he had a six ERA out of the bullpen for the Dodgers. I don't think you see him in the bullpen, you know, as often as you did. Uh, I don't think you see an Alex Vesia who had a 4.97 bullpen uh, or 4.97 ERA. I mean, um, I don't think you see him throw as many innings as he's thrown so far. Nate Jones, who uh, we picked up, had an 8.31 ERA. I don't think you see him throwing as many innings. Uh, Mitch White, you know, has a 3.93 ERA. I, I'm a little bit, I, I'm hopeful in regards to Mitch White, but, you know, and Edwin, uh, you said, who has an 8.1 ERA. So these are five relievers who have pitched a decent amount of innings for the Dodgers bullpen. I don't think you see them getting as many innings as they've gotten. If everything, you know, think about Knable, right? Knable, we lost Knable, you know, Gonsolin was down. He, he could have been thrown out of the bullpen. Um, so, you know, we've lost Scott Alexander for quite a while. You know, Jimmy Nelson's gone into IL a couple times. And so, you know, Bruce Dar, Bruce Dar Gratterall. He, he's had to, he's been built up, you know, slowly because, you know, came to camp late dealing with injuries and stuff. And so I just think there's, um, so when I think about our bullpen, 
I feel like some of the data is a little bit skewed because you're not going to see some of these pitchers in the playoffs, man. Uh, Dennis Santana is no longer here. Nate Jones is no longer here. Alex Vesey, you probably won't see him in the playoffs. Uh, Mitch White, you more than likely won't see him in the playoffs. Edwin Nusetta, you won't see him in the playoffs. Uh, so all these guys. So moving forward, um, I, I think it'd be great. I agree with you. I think you, we it would be great to get one more high-level bullpen arm because I think most Dodger fans and you and I know uh, Kenley Jansen isn't great on back-to-backs, right? Um, and in the playoffs, though, I mean, it's it's hard to be like, oh, we can't throw Kenley Jansen. It's a back-to-back game. We need another save in the playoffs. But we we don't feel confident throwing him out there on back-to-back. That's a tough position to be in. So I think it'd be great to go get, like like you said, a, a, a Craig Kimbrell, one more high-level elite reliever who you can say, all right, if Jansen's not closing today, then Kimbrell closes the next game. You know, something like that. Um or maybe a Rodriguez from Pittsburgh, but someone you feel confident throwing out there to, to pick up those saves when you don't feel uh, confident with Jansen just because you don't like the matchup or you don't feel good about how his arm's looking or, or whatnot. So um, the bullpen clearly hasn't been the best. We're still a top 10 bullpen in baseball be, even with that. I think that talks to those those high-level arms we have, as you've mentioned, uh, Kenley Jansen, uh, Blake Trinan, Victor Gonzalez, uh, Jimmy Nelson's looked really good this year. Joe Kelly's been a stud since we, you know, we found out that he's bouncing back from injury. Um, Phil Bickford has been great. Who who came up? Uh, Clevenger's been solid. Scott Alexander's even been really good. So they're, you know, I think the arms who are going to stay in the bullpen moving forward have been really good. So I'm I'm looking forward to a bounce back second half of the season from the bullpen. I think they'll be solid. Um, yeah. So uh, moving on from the bullpen, bro. Let's talk about the offense. Um, the Dodger offense the first half of the season, so I'm going to hit you with some stats again. Uh, batting average were 11th. Home runs were 4th. RBIs were 2nd. Stolen, base, stolen bases were 25th. On base percentage, 3rd. Slugging 8th. OPS 6th. Uh, Ks uh, were 13th in regards to strikeouts. Um, so I'll stop there. Uh, according to fan graphs and their, you know, uh, war, uh, their war stat, um, we are the second best offense in baseball, but how do you, you know, data is one thing, but using the eye test, um, having watched the Dodgers this whole first half of the season, how are you feeling about the Dodgers offense? Just looking at the first half. How do I feel about the offense? I don't know. I think it's, it's a little bit misleading, right? I think if you look at, uh, if you look at a couple of games in the season, in particular, the 16-4 win against the Brewers, the 14-11 win against the Angels, and then the 22-1 victory that we just recently had, and then another 14-3 against St. Louis. Um, oh, there's more. Then there's a 12-1 against, uh, against the Rangers, right? So that already accounts for about 100 runs. Take away those 100 runs and, you know, maybe just add the average, which is probably like three or four. And all of a sudden, our runs scored drops into like the middle of the league. And so that that worries me because, again, the numbers don't tell the whole story. What it tells me is that we've had a lot of really good games where we've just blown teams out. And then for the most part, outside of that, we've been below average. And that's sort of how it's felt all year, right? 
we go on these crazy hot streaks where we're just destroying teams. And then we just go through these like bad losing streaks against bad teams. Most recently, the Marlins. So, again, I think the numbers look great, but I'm just not comfortable. If you've watched the Dodgers play this year, pitch, hit, you'll know that the numbers aren't indicative of what's happened. And that's why we're in second place to the Giants. And that's why we get swept by teams like, or almost swept by teams like the Miami Marlins. So I'm hopeful that we start hitting with runners in scoring position. I hope we start driving more runs in. And I hope they're more spread out. Not just being very top-heavy where we score 16 runs in one game, 22 runs in another, 12, 14. Because that throws, you know, those are skewed statistics. We'll see what happens with the, uh, with the rest of uh, the year, the second half. With you know, with the adjustments they make. Yeah, man. Um, I I hear what you're saying that I feel like some of our offensive statistics are a bit inflated. Um, and I feel like if you've watched the Dodgers all season so far, and you look at the stats, um, that it, I I feel like it shows a little bit about uh, of the roller coaster of a season that it's been. I feel like that's a good way to describe the season where we have like these offensive explosive explosive games and then we have you know these games where we can't score any runs like I feel like we went on stretches where we can't score any runs um and so it averages out and you know I think our offense has more potential honestly I feel like second half of the season our offense is going to be better uh, uh personally um but some other stats I, I looked up um is uh we lead baseball in runners left in scoring position per game which I think is a good and a bad stat like in the sense, it's a good stat that we get a lot of runners in scoring position, a lot of guys in scoring position. But I think it's bad that we're not converting those into runs, right? We're not driving those runs in. Um, our batting average with runners in scoring position is not horrible, 269. Not horrible, could be better. But that average starts to drop as, you know, it's runners. You know, if you look at um, baseball uh, reference, they have like for the splits for for batting where it's like, you know, runners on first, one out, runners on first, no out, so on and so forth. Different scenarios with runners on base. And it, it, it becomes our, our data starts to trend downwards, um, especially in more high leverage situations. So uh down you know seventh inning eighth inning ninth inning down by one down by two down by three our offense starts to trend down which is a little bit concerning you know i would classify that as we're not as clutch as we maybe once were as an offense but like i said i feel like i'm very optimistic about the bullpen and the offense moving forward into the second half of the season i feel that we will um we will bounce back um, in, in those two areas and not that we, you know, need to bounce back a great deal, but I feel like we're just going to get better in those areas. So, uh, let's look forward, man. Uh, we've kind of been looking forward a little bit, but let's, let's look forward to the second half of the season and just tell me what are some things you're looking forward to, man. So go ahead and, and start me off with one thing you're looking forward to or, or a player or a specific storyline you're looking forward to in this second half of the baseball season, bro. Start us off. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hopeful for the second half of the season. Like you said, we come down pretty hard, or at least I come down pretty hard on the Dodgers, even though 
They have like what the second, third best record in baseball. Uh, but like you said, it's been an up and down roller coaster type season. It's been very frustrating at times. Extra inning games have been doubly frustrating. I wish Roberts would play small ball more, more stolen bases, get guys into better positions to score, right? I think we're capable of all that. And for as bad as we've played, again, I'm hopeful that we're going to be a lot better in the second half. I think uh, if we can pick up some momentum going into September and then in through to the playoffs, that would be ideal. Looking forward to having Seager back. His uh, bat in the lineup definitely impacts how pitchers throw, especially for the uh, the guy that comes up after him. We've got Bellinger, who's uh, who's finally back. Not hitting very well yet, but again, he's going to get into a groove. Baseball is a, is a game of rhythm. And so I'm confident he'll come back and uh, start hitting much, much better. Um, I mean, outside of that, you know, I'd like Mookie to start hitting better. I know it's within him. I know he's been playing uh, with an injury with uh, some pain in the first half. Hopefully uh, the all-star break gives him, uh, you know, a break, like the name says, so that he can uh, recover, rehab, and uh, come back strong. I'm really interested to see the trade deadline, how that goes, who we're going to pick up, who we're going to acquire. Mostly, though, the starting pitching. That's a big question mark for us. That really is the make or break in the postseason. You can't win unless you have good, healthy pitching. And you're, you know, the top of your rotation has to be pretty elite in order for you to get through those, uh, is it 14 games or is that the NBA? Um, but yeah, we need arms healthy. We need guys to be sharp. We need to know, or we need to see what's going to happen with his Bauer situation. Is he going to come back? Is he not going to come back? It's, it's tough. It's a tough situation for everyone. And then most importantly, Kershaw, right? We hope he gets uh, healthy. Maybe uh, take some of the load off. Don't let him go too much until he can um, recover. And again, inflammation is mostly due to overuse. So it shouldn't be something that a little rest can't uh, can't um, help fix. But we'll see. I, I, yeah. I expect us to finish in first place. Uh, yeah, man. Um, I would say uh, ditto. And, and to a lot of those things, uh, I'm looking forward to to Mookie Betts having a better second half of the season. He's just started getting hot to close this uh, first half of the season. Uh, Pollock has found his groove and has been on a tear. I'm looking for him to get uh, just continue doing what he's doing to close out. Um, I'm looking for Bellinger to get going, and I'm looking for Seager to come back, like you mentioned, uh, and both of them just to get going to be the players that who they are, especially with uh, with Bellinger, man. Um, you know, he didn't have a great uh, 2020 season. It was a shortened season. He didn't have a great season. And so I'd really like to see him just get back to the to the old Bellinger that we know he can be. Um, and as I, I think the, the, the biggest thing I'm curious about is what's going to happen at the trade deadline. You know, as you mentioned, starting pitching, I feel like Udias needs to rest a little bit more going into the second half of the season because he's already at 106 innings pitched, never done that in the major leagues. Uh, Gonsolin threw 46 innings last season in the majors. He's at 25, and he can only he notoriously goes four or five innings, four or five innings. So I don't know that how reliable he truly is. Um, like you said, Trevor Bauer, I I am operating like he's not pitching against this this year. That's how I feel. I feel like he's not pitching again. So we need to move forward like he's not. Um, and like you said, Kershaw on the IL. So 
a lot of men, you know, I feel like the offense is going to be trending up. I feel like the bullpen is going to be trending up, but I feel like our starting pitching moving forward might be trending down. But Friedman has a chance to to remedy that by picking up some arms at the deadline. Uh, it's always tough in baseball. Uh, not many, you know, teams selling. A lot of teams trying to buy. So we'll see, man. We'll we'll see how it goes. But looking forward to the second half of the season. Uh, as you mentioned, I 100% believe that we will finish in in first place. And I think you know we're we're really in control of our own destiny. Um, I think we'll keep up with the Giants. What I think will be the biggest difference maker is that um, we play the Giants quite a bit in the second half of the season. We get them seven times in July. Coming off the All Star break, we have a four game homestand against them, and then we have a three. The following week, we we have three on the road against them. So we play them seven times in 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 July. And then we play them, you know, three more times in September. So that's 10 games. So 10 games against the Giants, second half of the season, man. So that's a great chance for us to really uh, catch up. All right, City of Champions podcast listeners, it's time to talk about your Los Angeles Lakers. And we're going to continue the trend that we've been on uh, with each Lakers segment since we got bounced from the playoffs, which is just looking at different trade targets or free agent targets at various positions. So we've been going as far as uh, free agent targets. Uh, we've talked about bigs. We've talked about guards. And now we're looking at wings. So I have about uh, about eight, eight to ten uh, wing targets for the Lakers in free agency. Um, some realistic, some probably unrealistic based on our salary cap situation, but we'll just go through a couple, just discuss them, what they bring to the table. Um, and, and yeah, we'll get Edgar's thoughts on, on how he feels about some of them. You'll get my thoughts. And so let's take a look at a couple. So, so I have a couple names on here, Edgar, I'll just go through and you just give me your thoughts on, on a couple. So let's start off with a former Laker. Laker fans probably not going to like to hear this name, but I think he'd be an interesting prospect to look at. Danny Green. <laughs> now, <laughs> Danny Green um, had a really good season in Philadelphia. Shot 40% from the three-point line. Uh, got hurt in the playoffs, so he couldn't finish out the season. But he was, you know, a solid defender. Uh, you know, getting a little bit older, and we saw in the bubble with the Lakers championship run that he was kind of struggling um, but he did, uh, did have a good bounce back season in Philadelphia. Uh, he was coming off the, uh, last year of his contract that the Lakers signed him to. He was making five, uh, 15.3 million this season. Um, I don't think he makes that much next season, but Edgar, what do you think about Danny Green as a, as a potential target for the Lakers? Um, I think he'd probably want the taxpayer mid-level, so that 5.8 million. Uh, what do you think about that? My concern with Danny Green is that he went cold in the playoffs and I just can't trust that. I can't trust guys going cold in the playoffs because it happened this past, uh, this year, right? Where everyone just forgot how to shoot the three. And does Danny Green really make us better in that sense? Is he that knockdown guy that can uh, get baskets? Um, if it's between him and like a JJ Redick, then I'm going for like, you know, I'm going for a JJ Redick. Mm. 
See, I would, I would see, I, I would go for a Danny Green because I think JJ Redick is a liability on defense. But like you said, Danny Green did go cold in the playoffs for us, and and also with that is he's a he's your stereotypical three and D. He's gonna catch, he's gonna shoot, he's gonna play defense. That's it though, right? He's not gonna really get to the basket. He's not gonna you know take his man off the dribble and anything like that. So you know what you'd be getting in Danny Green. Um, so. All right, let me throw another another name your way. Um, let's look at someone who's currently playing in the NBA Finals right now. P.J. Tucker. So P.J. Tucker uh, is making $7.9 million this season, uh, shooting around 33% from the three-point line on the season, though he shot be- better in Milwaukee. Uh, Tough-nosed defender. You know, you know what you're. We've seen him, you know, for years playing in Houston. Uh, you know what you're getting in him. Um, we're seeing him right now in the playoffs, taking on tough defensive assignments. He went at KD when the uh, Bucks were playing Brooklyn. So, what are your thoughts on PJ Tucker, bro, as a possible wing target for the Lakers? PJ Tucker. Oh man, I'm so torn. I know like he's getting a lot of hype because of the way he defended this offseason, the way he defended um Kevin Durant. But Kevin Durant still ate him alive. Like he didn't do much to stop Kevin Durant. Another thing is that he is older in age. He's 36 years old. I just don't think a guy like that makes us better. Again, he's an old guy. We need to get younger. We need to be able to run with these younger teams especially with an AD and with a LeBron. And and that is my biggest concern, right, is that the Lakers aren't great in high-tempo games, right? If they don't control the the pace, then they get run off the court. And P.J. Tucker doesn't really help us in that sense. So I think we need to get younger at those in those spots and make the best of our money. So I wouldn't sign a a P.J. Tucker. Mm, I hear you. I hear your concerns in regards to age. It's just... I think with the Lakers tax situation, it makes it very challenging to target someone young, you know, and and that can shoot and play defense and get them for the what we can offer, right? Is because really what we're you know what we're offering is that five point eight that that taxpayer mid level. So let me throw another target who is on the younger side, has been in the league for about eight years now but does have a long injury history, and that's Otto Porter Jr. Otto Porter Jr., uh, I'm a fan. Um, he does have an injury history. Didn't play too many games this year, but he did shoot 40% for the three-point line uh, while he was in Chicago. So this year he split his time between Chicago and and Orlando, shot 40% from three in, in Chicago, but he only played a total of 28 games this year. Last year he only played 14 games. The year before that he only played, um, what? No, the year before that he played 56 games. So, you know, there's that. The last year he played more than 60 games was 2017-2018. So, um, he had a great year for the Wizards that year. Shot 44% from the three-point line. So, you know, he he has potential. Can defend multiple positions. Um. You know, could play the three, could play the four, be a great, I think, a great compliment alongside LeBron and AD, someone who I would trust to close games, uh, you know, does a little bit of, of everything, rebounds the ball well, 
you know, can can get some assists, block steals. And so I just, you know, he's coming off a big contract where he made uh, the last year of his contract was $28.4 million. I just don't know that we can get him with the taxpayer mid-level. I do think he's one of the better wings, but um, younger. So I think he's going to be looking for that next big contract. What are your thoughts on Otto Porter Jr., bro? I think Otto, Otto Porter Jr. is crazy if he thinks he's going to get the bag because he cannot stay healthy, like you said. He hasn't played very much since 2017, 2018, right, when he played those 77 games. And again, he is a good player, but it's a matter of health. Can he stay on the court? Can he stay healthy for the uh, the entire season? And the answer seems like no. And because of that, I would not want him on the team. Again, you're you're at that point. You're just gambling. You're hoping a guy that a guy can stay healthy, and that's a big yeah. if. So I wouldn't uh, go after him either. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's yeah, I hear you, man. It's definitely a, a risky gamble because if you spend all your money on someone who can't stay on the floor, that that really brings some challenges. Um, so let's take a look at another target. You know, someone who doesn't really have like the injury history and whatnot. Uh, Doug McDermott, Doug McDermott, um, you know, he's known for his offense, known for his shooting, uh, shot 38% overall from the three point line this past season, uh, coming off a contract that was paying him 7.3. So, you know, won't look, wouldn't have to take too big of a pay cut, uh, you know, to come to the Lakers in regards, in regards to taking the, the taxpayer mid-level, um, but has just historically been a really good shooter. Last year, he shot 43% from the three-point line. Year before that, 40% from the three-point line. Year before that, 42% from the three-point line. So I would say he's consistently a 40% or higher three-point shooter. Um, you know, rebounds the ball decently, not great. Uh, but you know what you're getting in him. He's a shooter, man, and and he gets buckets. Um not going to play the greatest of defense. Again, small forward, power forward, probably his best positions. Um, definitely can slot in when AD plays the five, can play the three, can play the four next to LeBron. Uh, but he is someone who is a legitimate three-point shooter um, and a scorer. So uh, what are your thoughts on on Dougie McDermott? I like him a little bit more. Like you said, he's a great shooter, both at the free throw line from three-point land. That's the kind of guy we need, right? Again, defense is more of a culture thing, like I've said before. Guys at the NBA level, they can play defense. Whether or not they choose to play defense is a different story. So I'm not too worried about that. We, what we do need is is that guy that can knock down threes when he's wide open. And that's the guy that we've uh, we've lacked for a while. We haven't had that consistent you know, three-point shooter who... More times than not, you know, the ball's going to go in. And he's the guy that's improved over the years. He's actually gotten better from uh, in his time with Indiana. So that's also a positive sign. He stays healthy, plays most games. 2017, 2018, played the 81 games. So almost a full season. In uh, 2018, 2019, he had 77. 2020, he had 69. Um, and then this year, 66. So he's playing the majority of the games. I would trust him. I would, I would want him whether or not he's willing to take a pay cut. I think he might actually get more money. Um, but you know, he is a first round pick, almost a lottery pick. He was 11th in the 2014 draft. So, you know, he was highly valued for a reason. Um, 
yeah, so that's one of the guys I would definitely go out and uh, explore. Yeah, I hear you. So um, a couple other guys I have on here. Uh, I'll throw two your way. Uh, Reggie Bullock and um, and Kent Bazemore. So Reggie Bullock coming off the Knicks uh, shot 41% for the three-point line uh, this year uh, on six attempts a game. So, you know, good volume. Uh, but he's known more for his defense. Very good defender playing with Tom Thibodeau in New York. Um, he's coming off, I think, a, a contract that was paying him $4 million, So he'd be getting a, a bump to take the taxpayer mid-level. I mean, obviously the Knicks can re-sign him and pay him more. Um, but I like uh, I like Reggie Bullock. And then, you know, Kent Bazemore uh, shot 40% for the three-point line. He's coming off making the veterans minimum. So that's someone we can target for the veteran minimum, though Golden State can re-sign him and just give him a little bit of a, a, a pay increase, a pay bump. But I do like, um, I do like, uh, I like Reggie Bullock and I like Kent Bazemore. I like what they both bring to the table: toughness, versatility, defense, a little bit of shooting. Um, and I think they're definitely in our price range—that two point three, four point two million. So definitely some players we can afford. What are your thoughts on those two guys, bro? Well, just a side note: both guys are former Lakers players. Um, yeah. Not you know in the glam you know glory days, but they both played with us uh, when we were struggling. So it's not going to be anything new coming to the Lakers. I think if anything for them, it's going to be a lot better knowing that there's a genie bus and not a uh, you know Jim Bus Jim Bus running the operation, which is a huge difference, especially two players. Um, I would explore going after you know both of them. Honestly, it's it doesn't hurt to at least. Checking with them to see how they're how they're doing, what kind of money they're going to get. I think they're both realistic targets. Both really great from three point land. Um, both better defenders than uh, McDermott would be. Maybe, maybe right. Uh, they both you know can't play the, the defense if they wanted to. Again, like I said, it's a culture thing. They could both step up. They've both got the athleticism to do so. Um, so I you know check in with both, see if uh, e- either of them is a. Either of them are, are targets, um, but more so Kent Base more than um, than Reggie Bullock. You know he's probably the better three point shooter of the two. Um, but yeah, man, I like both those guys. I think they they you know for cheap contracts they can both uh, be great additions to the team. Yeah, man, I, I think so as well. They're definitely more affordable. Um, and so I'm going to throw in another guy who also is coming off of playing for the veteran men, had a really good season. Um, I thought he outperformed his contract debt for sure. But I think he also outperformed just a little a lot uh, as far as what people expected from him. That's Nicholas Batum from the Clippers. Um, so he's already in L.A., um, made $2.5 million to the veterans minimum this past season. I highly, um, highly doubt the Clippers let him go. I think he resigns at the Clippers, but if there's a chance of the Lakers snagging him away, I think he'd be a great pickup. I shot 40% from the three-point line uh, this season. And then another name who I think at this point in his career, a little bit older, but I think he will be seeking to go to a winner because I don't think the team he's currently on is ready to contend, and that's uh, Rudy Gay. Uh, Rudy Gay shot 38% from the three-point line this season, 11.4 points a game. Can play the three, can play the four. Uh, he's a scorer, man. He can get buckets. He's a really good scorer. Um, you know, shoots it pretty well from the uh, free throw line. You know, eighty percent on his career. Um, and I think he's at the point where he's really ready to go to a real contender. 
Um, and I think he, he fits the mold of a long player, tall player, uh, who could play multiple positions at three, four position, you know, getting up there in age 34. So we wouldn't be getting younger, but I think he fits, you know, our timeline more than he fits to Spurs timeline. So what's your thought on, on Rudy Gabra and, and Nicholas Batum? Of the two, I love Rudy Gay. I think he's historically been such a great player, consistent player. He's always been a scorer. He'll get you those buckets. Like you said, he is 34, going on, probably going to turn 35 before the next season starts. Um, but like you said, he's 6'8, 250 pounds. So if you're talking about a guy you can throw to guard the two, the three, even the four. He's that guy because he's such a big body, right? Yeah, man. Um, I, I honestly think I, I like all of this list, to be honest with you, man. And um, I think any of them will be a great addition to the Lakers. I think if we can get one of these guys, it, and I think it dep- depends what we do as far as like trades, um, especially with Kuzma. Do we trade him? Do we keep him? Um, because if we do trade him, we do need to get another wing. So. So we'll see, man. But I like any of these targets. Um, I think some more realistic than others. But wings, man. Wings is where it's at, dude. You see um, players like uh, in the finals right now, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, Torrey Craig. You know, these wings just having great postseasons. You know, so it's definitely um, it's a valuable position. Guys that can defend up and down from their positions. that could defend the three, the two, the four. And so we'll see, man. Um you know, a lot of, you know, it's, 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 it's rumor season for basketball. So a lot of rumors are picking up and, and we'll see what the Lakers do, man. The, the draft is coming up here at the end of the month and then free agency kicks off right after that. And so on the next episode, we'll talk a little bit about just Lakers news, what's being said, what's going on, you know, head coaching, not head coaching, but assistant coach search, uh, is still going on. Um, and we'll discuss also some draft prospects and then just discuss other Lakers news in our next episode. But, uh, that's going to do it for now. Thank you guys for hanging out with us and rocking with us. Thank you for listening. Make sure you follow us uh, on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe um, on Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts to the pod. And we appreciate your support, y'all. Peace.